Hi, I'm Ben, your host for the next hour, and you're listening to a Virgin Startup podcast produced with the support from our friends at Virgin Money. The podcasts are recordings of our free meetups, which take place every month. Check out virginstartup.org slash events to sign up for the next one. This week, our conversation was all about new beginnings, and to kick off 2022, we asked our trio of Virgin Startup-funded founders how to build a thriving business this year. To find out why there's never been a better time to start up, I was joined by Jill Henry, co-founder of Meander Apparel, Robert Ford, co-founder of Box and Sprout, and Lysander Bickham, co-founder of Leo's Box. Enjoy. Rob Ford, co-founder of Box and Sprout, Jill Henry, co-founder of Meander Apparel, and Lysander Bickham, co-founder of Leo's Box. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. Good Hi, evening, Ben. You, you all got on stage very quick, impressive, uh, very smooth. So I thought we'd just kick off with some uh, quick warm-up questions, and then we'll dive into your stories and learn about what you're building. And it sounds already like from the conversation, from the chat, we're seeing people who are in the room tonight. There's loads of overlap with, with your startups and your projects and your missions, which is great. So we'll hopefully make those connections too. But first up, uh, warm-up question. What powers you through your day, Jill? Um, so probably starting off the day, um, starting with a good smoothie in the morning, <laughs> I think just making sure you get some healthy, healthy breakfast. Um, and then I love walking. We live, we're very lucky. We live right next to some lovely hills in Edinburgh. Um, and I have a very energetic dog. So walking him daily, I think just kind of clears the mind and, uh, starts things off in, in a good way. That's that's fantastic. Lysander, what about you? Smoothies and dog walks or something different? <laughs> I, I mean, I definitely love walking. Um, I mean, I'm right next to the river in London, so I think it's helpful to sort of go out go out there, have sort of clear your mind, have a think. But I guess I'm I'm always a morning tea person, so you've just gotta gotta re- I, I use that to help brainstorm brainstorm the day and think about what, what to do. Well, if tea powers you through the day, you'll be okay in life because there's plenty of that around. Uh, cool version of startup tea brand to check out. It's called Think Tea. It's like healthy tea. That's think with two E's. Um, and Rob, what about you? What powers you? Uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I've got three things um, and I've been trying to do all three every day uh, so far. And so we're 19 days into the year, but I've been doing um, cold showers in the morning, uh, going for a quick run, um, getting out into nature. I'm, I'm in Queen's Park in northwest London and a uh, Getting, getting 20 minutes jogging around the park really gets me going um, and meditating and journaling each morning as well. So um, I'm trying to stick to those things. And I'm now, now Rob, this to well. me sounds a bit like the 5am club kind of Robin Sharp <laughs> all checklist that you're doing every morning. How Have you kept that up since the 1st of Jan? Yeah, got the little habits tracker ticking things off. It's oh, going well. I think we could we should all just quit this conversation now. Yeah. That's your that's your attitude to the year. You're going to be flying. Um Thanks for sharing. Okay, second warm-up question. What's your current favorite tool for building your business? Jill. Um, I mean, I think it's probably, I don't know, listening to the podcast, I think early in the morning as well when I go on that walk. I'm a big fan of one called um, How I Built This, um, which, you know, different entrepreneurs listening to their story. Uh, awesome, yeah. I just find it super motivational, you know, if um, you ever listen to any of these founders, they've, they've, they've definitely overcome a whole lot of hurdles. And it's always quite motivating to to hear another another story like that. So I think that's in my kind of mental um, kind of tick uh, feel good checklist toolkit. <laughs> I look forward to listening to your episode of Meander Apparel on how I built this one day. Uh, Lysander, favorite tool? Uh, I'd probably say my favorite tool is Moz. I mean, it's almost, you've got loads of books in the background. It's almost like you, you do, do a book club. It's, I don't know. It's not, is that possible? Um, but it's in, yeah, we use Moz most, most days. And I, I really find that helpful for, I guess, directing the, the content and, um, sort of planning everything out because SEO, I don't know, it, it takes ages and it's very boring to do sometimes. I mean, it it just it's just so difficult, but it's it's always helpful to have a structural um, sort of plan to as an app to to sort of guide me. Nice. So Moz as a as a day planning app. Rob, what about you? What's your favorite tool? Um, 
looking to use it more this year it's loom uh, so you can shoot a really quick a video on your webcam and you can send it out via email um, and you can have a, a bit more of an interactive uh, relationship with uh, with anyone that you're talking to but especially customers Fantastic. Yeah, I love that too. It feels very authentic. You kind of do it quickly, rough and ready. Mm. Uh, lots of it iterate fast. So it, it puts you in that habit, doesn't it? So Loom's a great recommendation. Um, so final warm-up question. What are you exploring that's new this year within your business that you're learning about or you're trying to like get into something new that you're really enjoying? Jill? Um, I think what's what's happened recently is, we. I mean, we've just expanded quite a lot. Um, so gone from kind of Steve and I to co-founders this time last year to now having a team of 12. Um, and most of that's happened in the latter part of the year. So I'm pretty much learning, you know, just we just finished a book called Do, Do Team. Uh, and just kind of, you know, learning how to work with the team remotely and, um, you know, hopefully inspire them in a good way as well. Yeah, that's a big jump up, um, mm. but it's an exciting new challenge. The journey from from founder to um, CEO is always a is always a a real leap. So um, yeah, it's going to be a good challenge this year for you, uh, Lysander. What are you exploring that's new? Um, well, we're sort of exploring better ways to partner up with brands. So we we've got a a really strong, I guess, understanding of what what qualifies a brand to work with us, but not necessarily actioned that too much. So. Um, we're working we're sort of starting to work on uh partnering up with some brands that i guess talk about b corp and uh allow us to to learn as well because i think the the more you combine feedback and sort of share analysis the more you can I guess a bit like start uh, the startup events you can sort of really improve your offering that sounds like a great intention at the start of the year and rob what about yourself um learning about and looking forward to developing our supply chain. Um, so a problem, a problem in our space is sustainability and we're, we're really getting our teeth into, uh, into cleaning up our supply chain for this year. Okay, so there we go. There's a little uh, little trinkets, uh, uh, nuggets looking into your businesses. But let's go back to the stories of these startups. So Jill, if we can start with you. Um, Meander Apparel, where did, the, where did this idea come from and how did you bring it to life? Um. So the idea came from um, a bike ride that we did, actually. So um, I was working in the clothing industry in the Times out in London. Um, and Steve and I, who's he's my husband and my co-founder, uh, organized a, a cycle from, from London to Paris with a group of friends. Um, and I think it was, you know, on and during the cycle that it, it came up about what, what we were wearing and why cycling apparel looked how it did um and it kind of i think got it got us thinking that perhaps there was um another another a better way of doing things creating versatile and technical clothing that looked good if you were on the bike but equally looked nice if you were walking around those bars around paris or something as well um but yeah it was very much an idea that was sparked from from the bike ride um which... And when you were Jill, when you were on that bike ride, are you going? Hold on, this we've got to change this this lycra, the whole sort of like issue that's going on with with these bike rides. How can we? Was it was it really then to say how can we be glamorous and comfortable uh, on a bike ride, or was it was it more than that? Were you like, could we do this whole thing better? Um, I mean, I think initially, you know, I I think Steve and I had been thinking it would be nice to set up a business, you know, and, and brainstorming various different ideas. Um, and so I think very initially, um, it, it, it probably was thinking about, yeah, you know, the, the, the stuff's not, not great looking, we could make it a whole lot better. Um, so initially, when we started out, uh, the thought process was, you know, let's develop one product and take it from there. Um, so we started out with our very first product was a meander jacket, um, which is, you know, completely lightweight, waterproof, breathable. Um, but a very minimalist Scandinavian inspired design and something that, yeah, you could wear on a bike, but equally you could wear, you know, walking around town, no one would think you had on a cycle jacket. Um, but I would say it was on the journey of developing the jacket um, that we started to think more about the brand. We realized that we couldn't just, you know, develop one product and put it on a crowdfunding campaign, which is, which, you know, we, we did put it on a crowdfunding campaign. 
Um, but for that to work, we had to think more about the brand as a whole, about the vision for the company um, and our values. And I think pretty quickly, with both of us being outdoor lovers, um, you know, into cycling, but the outdoors in general, it, it was clear that we were passionate um, about doing things in a very sustainable way. Um, so straight, you know, from the get-go, I think our crowdfunding campaign, um, it was all, all about, you know, not just the product, but the brand and doing something that was timeless, made from sustainable materials um, and made to last. So the kind of beginnings of our, of our business idea was there from the start. That's great. And um, did you did you or your husband, Steve, have a background in fashion or sustainability? Um, so, yeah, I've got a, a background in fashion. So I studied, studied did a, my degree um, sort of 20 years ago in clothing design. Um, and then I, I moved to London and worked for various brands and designers in London. Um, I think the focus when I, when I worked for brands, it wasn't um, sustainability. Um, they were, you know, more kind of brands that were that were making collections every six months. Um, Steve's background is completely different. Um, so he he studies engineering and then went on to work a little bit more in the financial side of things. Um, but his passion um, and you know, the, I mean, the reason that we were doing the charity bike ride was that Steve one week later was also doing an expedition to the North Pole. Um, and so we were kind of doing the charity right bike rides to raise money for the charity expedition. Um, but I guess, you know, his, his absolute passion, what I'm saying is, is the cycling and the outdoors and exploring. Um, and, and with that, you know, you have to think as an outdoor lover, you're, you're, con you're constantly thinking about the planet and doing things well. So I think it was our joint passions, a bit of my background working in fashion that's developed the brand that we're, that we're, Doing today yeah the story the story comes together beautifully um and then just give us just bring us up to the point where what happened with that first jacket did it sell really well how did you get the the first revenue um so yes we we launched our, our product through indiegogo so we did a reward pay, reward based crowdfunding campaign um so yeah i think we had set a target of kind of ten thousand pounds which was going to be enough for us to help us to fund their very first production run. Um, so yeah, we were, you know, it's kind of a month long campaign. And um, yeah, we were delighted to kind of hit beyond our target within the month and raise the money um, for the very first production run. Um, it was without that a very, very difficult thing to do, raising the money by no means did our campaign go anything near as wild as a lot of them do on the platforms. Um, but it was definitely a good thing for us to do, to test the market out um, and a little bit less risk than going out and buying all the production in the first place. Um, and also some of the people, some of those backers that supported us then are still on the journey and still buying from us now. So yeah, it was a great experience. It's such a good example of going for those early stage crowd funds, reward based, especially as a way of validating, but also committing, right? Building your community. So anyone that's thinking about doing what, what Jen and Steve did, um, it really, really highly recommended if you're prepared to put the, uh, put the time in early on, because it is a big effort. So congratulations on making it off the ground that way. Now, there's lots more we want to hear about Meander, but we're going to move on to Lysander's story now. So Leo's box, Lysander. Um, where did this journey begin for you? Yeah, of course. So, um, so yeah, the journey started when I was about 14. Um, so I was at school working around um, on an idea about the sustainable development goals. And I sort of saw at the time this, this fantastic framework to try and drive impact and see how, how com uh, countries could, uh, I guess, try and reduce theirs and ensure the world doesn't doesn't go totally wrong but I I was also looking at the time to sort of start a business and I'd seen um, a company called Freddy's Flowers who do a fantastic uh, flower service as subscription and it was a very brilliant sort of idea for me to see how how a business could work as a subscription system it was entirely new as a model but it was really cool and I then sort of thought well I'd love to purchase sustainable products to try and I guess reduce my parents and my my own impact 
um but all of the products were either rubbish or too expensive or just too difficult to understand if they were actually any good um and actually sustainable so i sort of thought all three aspects sort of aligned so i knew that i wanted business to be a force for good and to try and have this framework that could uh, reduce your impact um but also offer products at a more accessible uh so, sort of price that worked because i think that was really important so many people thought that a sort of a sustainable cleaning product was just basically water or a lot of elbow gr grease whereas actually some of the products are far better than the mainstream brands um and so i thought sort of the subscription would work really well and i guess i started it uh, just after gcse's and i i did worked in the summer on that i um i went to door store knocking and to see if i could get the first customers and sign up to the subscription um which yeah it was a very difficult process to do but it was yeah it was a very rewarding summer it you know Leah, i sound like I, i'm calling you leo because it's leo's box which you can tell me why it's called that in a minute but but the it, it, to me it seems like completely mad like i'm 20 years into this game and i've just about got my head around what you just described you you basically grasped when you were 14 or before your GCSEs around like what's going what's going wrong with the world what the business opportunities are and then you went out and launched something so I just have to ask like what was drive what was driving you then as I'm sure it is now to act was it like seeing the scale of the problems was it just a healthy curiosity for opportunities or was it a, a role model in your life yeah because uh, we all need we all need lots more of that in our, in our <laughs> education systems whatever it is yeah i mean i'm uh as i as was spoken about at the start i'm a big believer in uh sort of the better business act that i know virgin have signed up to and um and i guess i, I just thought it wasn't necessarily a role model but i saw an, i sort sort of saw an opportunity to think well actually business just needs this needs to be this role i mean i witnessed my parents working five days a week uh, and probably working too hard but it it was sort of I realized that that's what most people when they're older do they work most days of the week and that's that takes up a huge amount of time we don't have that much time this is a huge problem and I guess the best way that we can direct the changes is, is through business because it's it's such a fundamental aspect of of everyone's life fantastic Fantastic. Um, and just very before we come on to Rob, um, tell us a little bit around what Leo's Box has become. So what, why is it called Leo's Box and what do you what are you buying? Yeah, of course. So um, when I started it, we were a subscription box. So you pay sort of certain amount of money per month. So it was £20 and you got products. Uh, and these days it's it's a £4 subscription, a bit like Costco. So you can get all the products, but up to 70% off retail price and sort of on average 40%. Uh, so it's all about, I guess, the accessibility. Um, but Leo's boxes is named after me and our, our sort of raisin detra. It's, so it's lo loving Earth's oceans, but then it's also my middle names uh, spell Leo. So it, it kind of works because my name is quite difficult to say sometimes. So uh, I guess people refer to me as Leo quite a lot. And it I, it felt like a personal way of maintaining closeness with the uh, with customers and as a brand but also uh to deliver the change that we want oh it's brilliant um thanks so much for the introduction to that and your your early journey um into into business rob did you start when you were 14 <laughs> um no but i guess the inspiration for it came from from earlier than that um, oh really so the the inspiration for what you're working on now was goes way back i think um yeah, you know, the, the early seedlings of it was um, I, I grew up next to a farm um, and my nan had a little allotment where we grew up and I grew up with nan. And um, so there was always sort of homemade, um, sorry, homegrown food um, on the plate. And we were always in the allotment, getting our hands dirty, um, growing and gardening. And so fast forward to sort of 2015, when I moved into London, I was I was extremely like acutely aware of that sort of deficit we have uh, in the urban environment with our in our connection with nature. And so, um, you know, fast forwarding again to 
2020, if you can cast your mind back to, to spring 2020, it was a, a beautiful summer's day in, um, in March and the sun was shining, it was warm, it was pleasant, the birds were singing, the, the flowers were coming into bloom again, but the world was, was shutting down and we were all trapped at home. And so it was that moment of the, the disconnect from nature was becoming even more acute because we couldn't even leave our homes. Um, and so that was the, the, the sort of birth of, of, of what we started to do with Box and Sprout. And, what, and tell us more about what, what it's become, because I know you've been on a journey over the last uh, year and a half trying out different things. So what was your first offering and, and how did, where did it go from there? Yeah, well, the, the first thing was um, growing some veggies. So I was growing some veggies on a windowsill on a balcony. I had a small uh, living in um, Oval in South London and had a little spot and it was a bit of a sun trap. And so I was growing some stuff and um, it got a bit of attention. Some friends were wanting to do the same, I noticed. And so set up um, set up a business just very quickly, quick website. And some Facebook ads and started selling potted vegetable plants and then driving them around London, delivering them. And what we learned was very quickly, it became apparent that there's this real knowledge gap for people that didn't grow up with a nan teaching them how to garden and how to grow things. But there was a real appetite to do so and to get stuck in and to give it a go. Um, what we've since learned was that actually 3 million UK um, three million Brits picked up gardening for the first time in their lives during lockdown. And so that really speaks to, to the value of gardening, both the sort of for the mental well-being benefits, but also for the physical, physical health benefits. Um, and yeah, there's this huge appetite, appetite to give it a go, but a real lack of confidence and, and knowledge in how to do that and where to start. And so what we've learned since then is that actually the traditional gardening retailers and, and the incumbents in the market they cater to a, a gardener who is very experienced and they actually, in doing so, they can alienate people who are less experienced, who need a bit of handholding um, and need to be shown a little bit more what to do. And then, and what's Box and Sprout today? Is it, uh, is it subscription boxes? Is it, uh, is it like an online plant store? What are you, what are you, what are you working on? We, so yeah, so for context, we we did the veggie plants. We then started doing some house plants. We've now come on to a subscription, and then we've evolved that again. And we've realised that actually the outdoor gardening is is the big thing. Um, so we are build we are a retailer, an online retailer, uh, selling outdoor plants at its core. But on top of that, we're bringing in um, some inspiration, some content. Um, to help people get over those those purchase barriers um, and to make them feel like it's a brand that's not going to give an A to Z of 4,000, 5,000 different plants, but actually just distill it into gardening into its purest form and to, to help people do that in, in whatever space they've got, particularly in the urban environment, but not exclusively. One of the things I love about it, Rob, is the fact that, you know, you assume, it's one of those things you assume, oh yeah, people who know, people know how to do their gardening or have got the confidence to do it, but actually it's probably, for many, there's a there's a lot of fear or barriers to like, oh, well, how do I do this? I don't want to kill a plant, or I don't know what to buy first, and so on. And you're you're helping fix that, which is brilliant. Um, so now we have to talk about the money because the money is what what helps our you know oils our business, helps us do go on these missions, and um, it's a it's a it's the tool at the center of many much of our lives. Um, where are you? Tell us a little bit a little bit about your funding journey so far. Uh, what business model you're currently using in terms of revenue and where what's next for you um, and any learnings around money along the way Jill are you um, has it been an easy path for you so far with with finance and uh, meander um no it's it's not been easy but um yeah I guess we're taking a kind of slow slow gradual approach because um yeah we've been going a few years um so I think I started out I think it was prior to crowdfunding actually that I did go to Virgin Startup for my initial sort of 10, 10k loan that I got. Um, and I think so, yeah, that was that was kind of prototype development and you know, help with the marketing and just getting very initially started. Um I then did the um the, the reward-based crowdfunding, which helps pay for our very first production run. Um, then again, I think really quickly went, spent that money, 
um, very much on the production. I think went back then to Virgin Star, Self and Max out the full loan to the 25,000. Um, we then the following year did a kind of friends and family, small, very, you know, small rounds. Um, and yeah, each, each step we've just been kind of funding a bit more of the growth, buying most of it's tending to go on to our production. Um, and then last, last year, uh, towards the end of last year, we actually had a customer who, who, who'd come into our Edinburgh store um, and then emailed me uh, later to say he was, he was a huge fan of the brand. Um, and it turned out he had, he had recently sold his, his business uh, for, for quite a few mil, million and was looking to invest um, a serious, yeah, a good amount of money. Um, so our plans had been to do a kind of equity crowdfund at the end of last year. But yeah, we met with this investor um, very much, you know, got on very well and um, decided not to do the equity um, the crowdfund and instead we went did a seed round with with him and another investor as well fantastic um, and that's all closed yes yeah congratulations which means you've been able to to onboard this team exactly exactly it's it's just come at um a perfect time so brought on the team we're very much a, a direct to consumer brand um so for us a lot of the money we're not you know pre-selling any any of our, our collection we're very much kind of buying all that stock up front um so it's been able to help us we're expanding the collection uh we've just opened um another store as well and then help expand the team so yeah it's it's been you know that's been over a few years to get to, to that stage but sure yeah I, it's a lovely example jill of like actually you know the best way to to raise money or attract money is to go out and build a great product and a brand and of course we all know that's chicken and egg right you need funds to you know to get it going but but your story uh, meander is a really i think it's a really good example of like yeah you you, you kind of hacked it together with loans and crowdfunding and friends and family and then you were mm -hmm. able to really prove that this had uh had fantastic traction and it and it's brought this in so so well deserved and also going down an equity crowdfund route would have taken a lot of your time and energy for that. Yeah. so it's not lucky it's well deserved and lysander you're you're a bit earlier on but um how have you funded leo's box so far yeah um so i've been self-funding it for for most of it so when i was um i guess yeah this it started i guess before before the business did uh when i was on my 13th birthday so the minimum age on in the UK you can work is 13 and so on my 13th birthday I went round uh, on the high street uh, we've got and sort of with a sheet of paper and just asked for a, a weekend job and so I sort of saved up lots of uh, lots of the money I could from the working and um, luckily was able to use the funds to, to start Leo's box it was yeah it was started small but um, I've just been reinvesting it all so much because Luckily for me, I still live with my parents. So joys of joys of having been at school for most of the time starting business was not having to pay rent, not having to pay for food and stuff. So um, I could just invest it all in in the business. And then when I got um, my co-founder Flora on board, um, we sort of we spoke about it and we won a few grants and things that allowed us to to invest a bit more in the business and pro new products and to rebrand as well and so hopefully all of that is sort of coming in the next few months with a new site and i guess more flashy stuff that that and what, uh, and what sort of level you got to that are you getting to this year do you hope is it to the point where you're like we need to go out and and raise more money or we've, we've got to we're generating enough monthly revenue in order to to you know focus on it full time and, and develop what, what what stage are you at so, so I, because I'm on a gap year at the moment, I'm able to um, work on it full time. I'm uh, and Flora does it as much as she can because she's freelance as well. So that works really well for us. Um, but I think we're going to sort of make that make the decision on if we should go out and raise uh, a sort of seed round uh, in late Jan or so, uh, late sort of July. I mean, in um, because it kind of depends on university and how I'm gonna deal with packing boxes because I still pack it from from my sort of bedroom and stuff all the time how so, many boxes are you packing a day 
<laughs> uh, well, one day in Christmas we did 300, so that was really incredible. Um, but most most of the time it's just sort of 20 or 30. There's the sweat equity right there, Joe, huh? And, and awesome. Rob's, pa Rob's packing his, his pot plants for everyone. We're all at it. Um, I love the fact that Lysander calls his um, working on his startup, um, uh, his gap year, because um, basically it makes <laughs> me feel like I've been on my gap year for 20 years. Um, but you're getting your sweat equity for sure. Rob, how's the funding journey for Box and Sprout going? Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, so we started um, self-funded as well. We're... Um, my co-founder Charlie and I are both sort of in our early thirties now, um, so we've we've got a little bit of savings that we can start um, start using. But um, we've paired that with a loan from Virgin Startup, so sh shameless plug for you there. Um, and that helped us. Uh, that sort of th through a lot of the testing phases that we uh, we went through. Um, and yeah, we're now on the cusp of uh, friends and family round, so sort of a pre-seed. Um, and looking to to use that to scale through what will be quite a busy period for the business in spring. So when when gardening really kicks off in sort of March, April, May. Um, so getting getting some funds in, friends and family around to to see us through that, and then looking to do an external equity round probably Q3 this year. Okay. Yeah. So as you can hear from these stories, everybody, there's the whole variety of ways of financing and funding your way through your business. Um, so what I wanted to come on to next is that a lot of questions we get at Virgin Startup um, and, and even seeing some tonight are people saying, like all of you, um, I've got this uh, I've got this pro product, I've got this service. Um, I know it's I, I validated it with a small group. I'm now doing my digital marketing and there are so many channels to go down when you're doing direct to consumer marketing. Do I spend it on Facebook and Instagram ads? Do I uh, try and create events where I can bring people together? Do I do I form partnerships? What I'd love to hear is an, an example or two from each of you of you like what you've tried that's worked and what you've tried that hasn't worked. And therefore, kind of what, what your strategy or approach is to, to selling and marketing your businesses online. Um, Leo's box, let's start with you. How did you get your uh, have you got your sales online so far? Yeah, of course. So so we were doing I was doing dorsal knocking most most nights after school before lockdown. Uh, but obviously that became very impossible. I mean, I could have been partying. I just sadly was locking, being locked down. That was that was a shame. Um, but otherwise, it's been uh, sort of working a lot with ambassadors. So we've got quite quite a growing ambassador list um, from from influencers who are who are small but have a have a very strong, I guess, understanding of our mission and share the passion that we've got um, for the planet and sustainability in general. And so we we use them to i guess plug us but but in in a very nice authentic way um so it's it's not necessarily talking about the brand directly it's more sort of in the corner seeing the washing up liquid that we've provided in the glass bottle and uh that's that's sort of the direction that we try and go for um so you haven't spent money on ads anything like that we we we've done sort of a hundred pounds here and there but not very much um and I was probably going to say the main feedback that I can provide on areas that just hasn't worked is not investing enough. So our our CAC was for um, for the Instagram ads was sort of fifty to sixty pounds per person, which just was not not very good for a four pound a month subscription. So so Leo's dropping in the cost of acquisition an acronym, <laughs> which should settle some sort of you know bell or alarm here. Uh, but that's a whole nother workshop to go into that. But basically, if you if you're looking at ads and it's the feedback is like, oh, I need to spend 50 pounds to sell, sell a five pounds margin products, then that's that's negative. Right. But it's funny. It's like gambling. People do get sucked into it. Jill, if you as Miana do many ads or are you focused on partnerships and um, creative content? Um, yeah, we we do we, we run ads, but it's not it's definitely not our, our main focus. I suppose we use them mostly um as a retargeting tool just as a reminder to people um but yeah it, it's mostly been about creating really engaging content um something that we're really keen on on doing and it seems to be working quite well for us is building our online community through a through a newsletter that we send out so we do a fortnightly newsletter um and within that we make sure that we're adding as much value to our customer base. So 
Um, we, I mean, I've been told by a customer that he absolutely, you know, loves, in fact, several customers kind of say how much they love it. It's inspiring stories. Generally, you know, we do a lot of collaborations in the magazine with, you know, people that are doing lots of interesting things, climb, climbing Monroe's or, or rock climbing or, you know, state, different staycations around Scotland and things like that. Um, and, and we just don't sell too much in the magazine as well, you know, in the newsletter. But I think it is growing that community um, and, and we're constantly engaging with our customer. And then when we do have new products or, you know, it is Christmas or Father's Day and we do put out a sales le- newsletter, then they do tend to work and we've just kind of built up that trust and community, I guess. That sounds like to me the perfect execution of the old Gary Vaynerchuk Chuck, um, jab, 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 right hook, which is this idea that 80% of the time you give value, whether that's through information, inspiration, entertainment, and then 10 to 20% of the time you ask, you, you ask, which is like, buy our stuff or share our news or whatever it is. Um, and you do it very clearly. You don't do it underhand at the bottom. Absolutely. Of the email. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. My, I, I'm curious, like in the world of apparel and outdoor brands, like the competition is fierce, right? And you're up against these amazing uh, brands that have, a, you know, a thousand times more resource than you to create stories. Um, mm. How do you how do you build that community? Because I get that, that there's a there's a connection with a small startup and a founding couple and all of that. But how do you get them to like? What's been the way that you've found that people have gone? Oh, I want to keep coming back to you because. Because we can get, we can find climbing stories on on the web, and you know, every day. That that's not the challenge, right? Um, yeah, sure. I think. I mean, I guess ultimately, it's got it's got to come down to the product that that you're mm. making. Um, so yes, like yeah, um, absolutely. We put you know so much time and effort into into the products that that we're developing, um, and you know, word of mouth spreads if you do a good product. Um, and that's definitely one of another way where, where we're generating the sales from. Um, I mean, I think we were aware of kind of wanting to develop uh, a technical trouser bef- before we did. And we were aware that, you know, there was a lot of these trousers out there that, um, again, just didn't really look good, too many zips and, you know, all sorts of things going on. But there was a need for something that is, you know, water resistant and super comfortable and amazing for doing all these outdoorsy things that we love to do. Um, and so we went out with this mission just to create this amazing product that we would want to wear every day and that had that versatility in the performance. And I think, you know, when we when we made it, we just felt like we had 100% nailed the product. Um, and yet, time and time again, customers come in, they buy one color, then they buy another two. And then someone else comes in going, I've heard about these trousers. So I think, yeah, whilst there, there is lots of competition out there, um, we need to make sure we're kind of finding what that gap is. So we're mm. absolutely not trying to do these huge collections and churn stuff out because we wouldn't then stand out. But if we spend a lot of time um, working on the design and thinking where the gaps are in the market and what's missing, and then we really, really focus on that. Um, I think just seeing a product that really stands out is is probably where where we're generating that that word of mouth. And it's working here because Andy Fishman says I'm a subscriber. It's a great read, Jill. I'm a Meander Apparel fan and customer. So your newsletter is working for me. There you go. Now listen, Jill. What, before I come to uh, Rob's uh, direct to consumer marketing plan, um, a question here that's. Um, how were you able to get the initial order on a small budget, given your product is quite technical, so can't be made cheaply? Um, so how was I able to to fund the? How were you uh, able to get the initial order on a small budget, given your product is is quite technical, or was it not on a small budget relative to other other clothing brands? Um, so the, I mean, the very initial product that that we produced, we funded that through the. A reward-based crowdfunding campaign. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It it's it's not cheap to to produce the technical products. Um, so I think kind of doing it so that we had all our pre-orders um, meant that we were able to fund the very first production run. And, and what then, was that? What was that target you had to hit for that crowdfund? Um, it was it was fifteen thousand pounds. Um, I think we need. I think we actually needed twenty thousand. 
um, and we were, you know, um, so we we hit our target in just a bit over, and I just kind of got got there, just got by with the rest. Um, but yeah, it was definitely that that funded it, and then I think thereafter we had the confidence that the collection would would sell. Um, and I guess we took a bit a bit of a gamble on it and just kind of yeah funded it through the through those other means that I, that I said earlier. Yeah. And we're now, of course, getting a, a flood of questions around technical fashion. Uh, but I'll just ask you once more before we do move on. Uh, Colette wants to know how you then got it prototyped and created. Um, so just uh, various iterations. Um, the first on my own sewing machine, which looked pretty bad. I think it'd been quite a long time since I'd done something like that. Um, then going to a very local factory. So one in Scotland who produced their first one. Um, and then thereafter realized that, you know, selling price would be far too high, plus we needed certain technical expertise. Um, so then source manufacturers abroad went to some big kind of um, fabric fairs and exhibitions in Europe to source the, the fabrics that we needed um, and, and find the manufacturers as well. Um, and then sent them probably some design sketches and my, my own dodgy sewn prototype and I uh, got something a lot better back, thankfully. Um, but yeah, go. several rounds of it that. It was a DIY job to start, but there you go. Your, your, your degree came in handy down the line. Um, Rob, tell us a little bit about getting Box and Sprout out into the world. Have you been using mainly online channels? We tried both. Um, I think we may have uh, tried pretty much every channel going. Um, and it's been good fun. Um, some have been successful and fruitful and some less so. And then, I mean, we started on on Facebook. Um, and what we found was that there's we had really good um, success with that. But then that's actually very seasonal and it's quite volatile. So, you know, if... Um, you know, when, when the initial lockdown was momentarily ended and some restaurants were opening up again, then Facebook's ads, were like there was much more demand for ad space. And so the price of ads went up a little bit. And so we were exposed as a business to that sort of that volatility. Um, and we've tried different platforms. We've, we've um, and I suppose one of the learnings is each platform has a slightly different customer base. Um, and so you've got to factor that into your, your overall business model canvas. When you're changing a different channel, you're going to slightly see a slightly different customer. Um, and how does that impact what you're doing and how you're speaking to them, the products you're offering, et cetera. So it's got to be, it's got to be quite focused. But um, kind of like what Jill was saying, one of our favorite way of doing things is, is kind of trying to bring people into our community first and to give them some value first before going for a, a sale straight off the bat. And so... We um, we've really enjoyed running ads through through Facebook um, and Instagram, but using them to get people onto like you know, collect email addresses or collect phone numbers. So then we can we can start a conversation with customers and bring them into our ecosystem and our community, um, and and then go for the sale eventually. As you said, sort of the uh, the eighty twenty on that. Um, but we've done offline stuff as well, a bit like Lysander. We've done some door to door knocking around London. Um, walking up to doors and, and taking our, you know, an example box uh, for our subscription and, and trying and signing people up that way. Um, good fun. Um, tough when, you know, the weather's bad and it's raining and you're trudging along and you've had like 15 no's or you know, door slammed in your face. So you've got to sort of at the cold face, um, but it's it's enlivening and it's great when you do get somebody signed up. So, um, but yeah, marketing is something that's been new to me uh, with this business and it's, it's always changing. There's always a new platform or a new a new way of trying to do things. But the, ultimately, if you can create good value content, as you said, Jill, um, and engage with your build a community and engage with the customer base and be as authentic as possible, then um, that's when we've we've found more success. And and even before we came online here tonight, uh, we were talking about the Room.io, which is a new influencer marketing platform that's trying to connect people up more authentically with between brands. And so that's something to check out. The Room.io. So I'm going to drop that in the chat. Now we've we've got just under ten minutes left and loads of more questions to answer. So I'm going to focus on cost, co-founders, and climate. Right? We're going to cram that in. Are you up for that, you guys? Do it. Good. If you don't, you just log off. Right? <laughs> so let's talk about cost or pricing specifically. So um, people are asking, do you price per by the industry? Do you price by the product? 
um, with the margin on top? Industry is obviously competition and like what everyone else does. Or do you try and price it slightly differently based on value? Jill, how do you figure out pricing in your industry, in your for your brand? Um, so I guess first of all, we probably think about um, you know what the customer will pay for it, as opposed to just looking at our margins. Um, so previously, when I have worked um, for clothing brands um, that are a lot bigger, it's all about kind of making sure that yeah, you know, you're getting that fifty percent margin or seventy percent, whatever it is. Um, and making sure, yeah, that you get that across the range. But I think as a small brand, um, it's a lot more important for us to think, what will the customer pay? Are we giving them brilliant value? Um, we're not too focused on, on the margin at first because, well, one, we're not, you know, our volumes aren't so high that it, it's just more important, I suppose, to give, to give great value in a brilliant product. Um, I'm not saying that we do it cheap because we definitely don't. It is a sustainable product um, and, you know, made in European factories. So it probably costs a lot more than others do on the high street. But I'm definitely not trying to achieve, um, you know, I think I can see in the chat that someone's saying, you know, I've heard it's 3.5. I think some brands will do kind of seven, ten times markup. Um, but ours is probably more like, I don't know, two and a half. Um, which I'm sure some investors or industry people expert would tell us it's, it's far too low. Um, but for us right now, it, it, feels, it feels right for um, the product we're making where we want to sit in the market. I, I love this approach, Jill, and it's also the hardest, right? Because the easiest approach to pricing is to say, well, what's our competition doing? Let's try and undercut them. Or what's the market? What's the typical markup or how much does our product cost let's add a little bit on top whereas this is all about perception and value and also the sustainability and the values of what you're doing right um an extreme example of this for those listening is is um someone once sold an app um on the apple store for like ten thousand dollars and all it was was like this is the world's most expensive app and it was just to prove the point that there's always someone out there that will pay a ridiculous amount of money or a premium for something if they find it entertaining or valuable enough or crazy enough in this case. So so it's like the pricing game is always a hard one. It's psychologically, it's a hard one to play, but it's a great example, Jill, you've done. Um, what about Leo's box? What's your pricing strategy? Yeah, so we don't make any of our own products. We're not necessarily um, able to set them too much. So we're very dependent on our wholesale prices. Um, but so, as part of the membership is about, I guess, offering the discount. Um, we want to try and make sure that we're able to pass on virtually all the savings that we've got. So we basically charge wholesale prices, maybe to five, six percent more, but generally not very much more because uh, it it ensures that we are, I guess, equal to supermarket prices on non-sustainable options. And do you think there's a premium um, opportunity out there in this space? Um, I mean, I'd say sustainability is quite premium generally. Uh, I know I'm sure that you two as well find that as well. It's it's so much more difficult when you spend probably triple the amount of time researching every aspect, doing the sort of carbon life cycle, stuff like that. But um, that, there's definitely an option where I guess our approach is premium products without the premium price tag. Um, and that's that sort of feels for us as though it's the best option for sustainability yeah fantastic and and for box and sprout how are you pricing we um yeah we are you know selling a product and sort of subject to to wholesale prices as well like lysander um so we uh, you know we consider our um our shipping costs our packet we basically add up all our costs and see what we need to charge based on that and we have a we have a ballpark margin that we apply um and take it from there before we were doing um we were adding a lot of value to the product with certain elements that we were doing in our um, in our box where we were sort of making our own uh sort of our own recipe for um, a growing media where we were spent a lot of time researching really sustainable materials um and organic substances and substrates to to create a growing compost which is completely peat free but also really light and lends itself well to to online shipping and e-commerce so um 
it's it's a it's basically a bottom up approach at the moment. Um, but there are there are additional services um, in the pipeline that we think we can we which will have a different pricing strategy. In the so future. there's a great exercise um, listening to you that's reminded me of that for everyone it's worth trying at some point, which is Airbnb talked about. It's Brian Cheska Airbnb talked about. It. It's like, well, what would a five star version of an Airbnb look be? What would the experience be? What would a six star version be? Oh well, we'd have these amazing candles and we'd have someone welcoming in your favorite Spotify playlist. So, okay, great. What would a seven star version be? Oh, well, we'd drive you there in a limousine and you'd have this, we'd pick you up from the airport. You'd have a massage on the way. Great. What would an eight star version be? Oh, well, you'd have a private blah, 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 blah. And they went all the way up to 10 stars. And the point of the exercise is not to say we're going to create this product or service. It was to try and get people thinking what other value could we bring to our audience um, that could take the perception, you know, and therefore the price and reach new people and so on. I was just thinking Box and Sprout, surely just like topless gardeners delivering um, <laughs> delivering the plants would be an easy premium. Uh, that would be we, the we virgin tried, approach. We tried that, Ben, but we lost customers. Well, you've got to find the right gardeners. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about co-founders briefly. You all are in relationships, business relationships, but Jill, you're in a business and life relationship. How do you manage it? <laughs> um, well, I think during lockdown, we, we've built a, a garden office pod. Um, so one of us can work in the house and one in the office. <laughs> um, so no, I'm kind of joking. But um, hmm. it, it's, uh, it's absolutely brilliant having, um, having a co-founder, someone to go through the absolute highs and lows of the business. Um, absolutely couldn't do it without him. Um, but yes, there is obviously... Um, extra kind of things that we need to kind of I think just a wee bit of space every now and then is needed when you also live with your business partner um so yeah no Steve and I do make a conscious effort if you know one of us is just kind of feeling extra stress and pressure is so you just give each other that bit of space so mm. if we do need you know to get our heads out and just kind of concentrate by ourselves we will give each other the time that we need um but equally, yeah, I absolutely, and I think he would say the same, but we couldn't have done it by ourselves, just having somebody else with a different skill set. Um, but then I think also just to be on the journey and celebrate all the highs and lows um, with you is just um, absolutely an essential, I'd say. Yeah, and it cements that mission even more when you're doing it with someone else. And, and of course, if you're doing it with your partner in life, uh, yeah. 10 times that what about for Lysander and Rob just jump in like what's what how do you manage your co-founder how do you manage the partnership so that you you deal with the bumps without falling out Rob do you want to start yeah sure um we've got uh we've got a mechanism where we have feedback once a month so we 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 take ourselves away from the day-to-day -day. we get our heads up and we get out the trenches go and have a coffee somewhere um and yeah we'll we'll usually do it face to face so not over zoom and we'll just have a really candid chat about how things are going um if there's anything that's cropped up that's sort of starting to irritate us or or isn't working for us um we've actually yeah we've created that forum where we can can just have that really open honest you know conversation um and you know i think everyone's reasonable right we're all reasonable people you can you can work through difficulties and you, as long as you communicate them what's what's key is not let something uh, bubble or boil away under the surface until like the pressure just blows so um actually having those conversations having that forum to have those conversations uh yeah it's really valuable that's yeah. great i'd probably say basically all the same really is in we i chat to, to my business partner i guess all the time over whatsapp and some, and it means as well that sometimes we're chatting business stuff and sometimes we're chatting sort of just friend stuff. And that's that's really helpful to to ensure that you can always, I guess, say at the end of the day, enjoy your weekend. What are your, what are your plans and stuff like that? Because I think it's yeah, everyone can do with a bit of kindness and just think about each other. We being in a startup is stressful um, lots of the time and. Um, I guess my my co-founder is slightly older than me, so she's got more experience, um, which which is helpful because sometimes I I need uh, need someone to be more mature um, when things go wrong. So it's helpful to be able to have that as an option. 
I sound like I doubt there's anyone more mature than you in business. Not that I've met anyway. <laughs> Not the performance you're giving tonight. Um, so listen, final question for the three of you. Uh, I'll save the toughest one to last because I know you're you're nicely warmed up now. But you're all mission driven founders, um, and and you know, like you, I believe that the future of business is, uh, as Andy was saying up front, is businesses that fixes problems rather than creates uh, problems down the line. Um, but we are also living in a time where. We're facing this multitude of crises. Modern life, even for those who are privileged to explore our own careers, is often overwhelming. What's your advice to people who are thinking about going on this path of building, trying to build something from scratch that will play a small part in uh, tackling some of these these problems that we face in the world? Um, what is that? What's the key thing that's helped you along the way? That's kept you focused and motivated um, and uh, driving forward, Jill. Um, yeah, I think, you know, finding, finding something that you're, that you're passionate about, um, or, or, or that you're, that you're interested and curious about, um, and then, yeah, finding, finding the purpose and how you can, you can give, you can give back and, and do good in society, because I think at the end of the day, if you, you know, you are, you are in business, then you have a huge opportunity, um, to do something good, um, so, you know, for us, like I said, we're, we're hugely passionate about the outdoors um, and we know that the, the clothing industry um, has a lot to answer for when it comes to kind of climate change. Um, so for us, I guess we believe that it, it's our duty um, to be able to, to do things in a responsible way um, and then, you know, to give back um, at the same time as well. So you know, whether that's giving back to charities, environmental charities, um, but just thinking about, about the purpose all the time and creating something um, positive in the world that you're passionate about. Um, yeah. That's fantastic to hear. Leo, what about for you? Um, yeah, I, I'd echo everything Jill said. Is, um, for us, sustainability is so integral to the business. I mean, it is literally our, our business. Um, so I think it's it's really important to find something you're you're passionate about and really believe in. So for us, that was B Corp, and that was uh, becoming a B Corp, making sure we signed we were part of that framework. And from then on, we got access to the community and sort of fellow brands to learn from and meet sort of and market with. Um, but I know there are there are so many different options. Some people, depending on what you believe in, most. I guess uh, you you could be carbon neutral. You could try and do some water neutral, or if you lo love the outdoors or plants as well, you can. I guess there are loads of charities out there that you can to choose to donate to to support. Because every, I mean, charities need our support at the moment. So and the outdoors and, and stuff requires it as well. So it's it's about find, finding what what you can possibly align with. Hundred percent, Rob. Mm. Um, yeah, we've had, you know, lots of ups and downs with the business. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an individual and personal journey as much as it is as a journey about building something uh, sort of separate from you. Um, I think some of the things that have got us through is like, as you guys have said, it's the connecting with a bigger purpose. And is there something that's more important than, you know, your own experience of it that you're trying to build? And um, we've had a couple of elements of feedback where customers have said, this has really helped me through lockdown or, you know, this, this having this plant and a bit more greenery has really been, been really valuable. Um, one of our, our food growing customers got in touch and said and explained like some of the mental health issues that he'd been going through and that the box had really helped him uh, sort of just slow down and calm down um, a little bit. And that it's only snippets of feedback like that. And you, you know, when you build a community and you can have that two way interaction with your customers, that the, the customers can actually carry you through the darker days or the, the days where you feel a bit less sure of what you're doing. Um, and so it's actually it's it's a really valuable relationship that goes both way. You're not you're not always just giving value. You can you can actually get quite a lot back. Um, and once that starts that that sort of loop of motivation, it, it does snowball a little bit. But um, yeah. it can be a slow burner initially, but it, it gets going. Yeah. Well, you've all three of you have got it going significantly, and I just um, build on what what I've you know what I've heard from the three of you tonight, which is. Uh, this, to, if we zoom out a little bit, this century is the biggest opportunity in uh, 
in like a long, long time <laughs> human history to um, to build new stuff that's going to be helpful and healthy and um, to to uh, to ourselves and future generations and to nature and the planet because we have to make this big transition, whether it's in energy or fashion or, you know, our relationship with nature and our homes, our food, et cetera. So it's all going to happen. We need it to happen fast, obviously, um, but it's all going to happen. And so the business opportunities that go with it are going to be huge. So it's so exciting to talk to the three of you this evening. Thanks for your time and energy and sharing your stories, Jill. Uh, I'm calling you Leo now because that's your brand. It's easy. And Rob, um, do connect with these founders and more importantly, recommend and buy from them. Um, but thank you so much for being with us this evening. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you found it useful, please share it with other founders and rate and review it online. For tickets to our next meetup, head to virginstartup.org. I look forward to seeing you there.